This generation has no excuse. They know, you know what God, what God requires of you. All of you. And he wants you to pay that price. Huh? And they actually got it. Oh boy. Oh yes. Now we'll start, we'll start keeping the Sabbath now real quick. We'll start keeping the law and we'll go back now real quick. Hey Lord. Hey Lord. Hey! What's the door shut for? Hey Lord! Depart from me. What, what, what do you want? Bind these servants hand and foot. Cast them out into outer darkness. For there's weeping and wailing and gnashing of teeth. That's why that young man don't want to hear it. He's full of the devil. He's heading for outer darkness. Don't be surprised. We may not be done with him. He might go get drunk and be back ready to kill. You wouldn't run if he come, would you? You'd all stand with me, wouldn't you? You would be a circle of protection around me, wouldn't you? All you fine, God-fearing saints of the Most High God. Let me read something else for you. Another verse. Matthew 24, verse 37. But as the days of Noah were, so shall also the coming of the Son of Man be. Now what in the world does that have to do with the door being shut? Well, the Bible says as it was in the days of Noah, that's the way it's going to be in the coming of the Lord Jesus Christ. The day he's going to come. So we go back to the book of Genesis. All the way back to Genesis chapter 8. And we read a verse. Are you ready? As it was in the days of Noah. That's the way it's going to be in the days of the coming or the days that Jesus finally comes. Well, let me read for you. Got your little Bible? Hmm? Genesis 8 and verse 15. And God spake unto Noah, saying, Go forth of the ark. Excuse me. I, I don't have the right verse here. I've got to get this verse. Verse 16 of Genesis 7. And they went in, male and female, of all flesh, as God had commanded him. And the Lord shut him in. The door was shut. Now, do you know what took place before the door was shut? A, a magnification of an open door. God got Noah into the ark seven days before he did this. And the door stood wide open. The open door. The Philadelphia church age. I said before you an open door. Anybody could have went in. That was grace being offered. Anybody. The door was open. Open door. They had seen miracles. Lord God, they had watched Noah and his kids be in subjection and, and watched those animals march into that ark. Noah didn't go out and trap them, you know. You, you would have thought that those people were a demonstration of such divine power. But you see, these, these people's minds were wicked. Every imagination of their heart was only evil continually. That's why you don't mess with this generation. See how, see how that swine turned the truth of God and trampled it underfoot? He gave that which is holy to a dog and what did he do with it? It's like throwing a bone to him. You know what was even more remarkable than watching the animals go into the ark? Was to watch the door close. The door was almost as wide as this tent is. 
It was a gigantic door. It didn't have no special thing to wind it up. It just laid there, a mammoth giant door. Represented Jesus, the door. And it's like I said the other day, the purpose of a door is to keep you out. If God had no intention of keeping them out, he would have never had to close the door. He could have just left it open and let them come in. But when God decided, according to his time schedule, that time was up, he miraculously started to raise that door and close it. Now, when it was only a third closed, somebody still could have got in. When it was only halfway closed, somebody could have said, my God, it's going to happen. Let's get in that boat. And they could have run in the last minute and just jumped up and got in. Maybe it was two-thirds, three-quarters. Somebody still could have got in. But nobody, nobody even tried. They were watching this most supernatural manifestation of the power of a God of heaven. And they just stood there and didn't even do a thing about it. The Bible said they knew not until the flood came and destroyed them all. Now, why didn't they do it? Because God had made a declaration to Noah, my spirit will not always strive with man. And I say to you tonight, if the Holy Spirit is striving, and he is striving because that wouldn't have happened if he wasn't striving. Some he brings in and others he kicks out. This meeting has shut more people out than you'll ever shake a stick at. Right here. There's people who could have had a chance to get right with God in this two weeks. They will never, ever again feel the drawing of the Holy Spirit upon their lives. I don't believe that. It doesn't make any difference. It doesn't make a bit of difference whether you believe it or not. It is a fact. The end time is here. Let me go one step further. Luke Chapter 13. 13th chapter of the book of Luke. I told you I was going to prove to you that the Bible talks about the door being shut. This is one of my favorite scriptures. And I'm not going to go through the whole thing. I just want to, I'm talking about the door being shut. Are you listening to me? Everybody listening, say, I'm listening, Brother Stair. Are you hearing me? May God help you to hear me. Hmm? Chapter 13 of Luke. Verse 24, strive to enter in at the straight gate. For many, I say unto you, will seek to enter in. Do you know that this, there's so many people seeking to enter in today? There, there is supposed to, they tell us there's a great spiritual revival taking place all over the world. Many are seeking to enter, but they want to come up another way. And God says they will not be permitted in. I surely if somebody would want to get in, this loving God would not prohibit them from coming in, would he? God wouldn't do that, would he? Oh, surely if many want to become children of God, he would He would help them do it, wouldn't he? Isn't that what we've been hearing all along? I, I, I must be reading out of a different Bible. 
I think I'll just tear this out. It, it, this can't be true. Am I reading it right, brother? What, what, what kind of Bible you got there? King James? Oh, maybe we ought to get the Revised Standard to amplify living, dead, whatever Bible we got, and see if we can't find some way to get this thing acceptable to our thought pattern today. For many shall seek to enter, but they shall not be able. Isn't that something? Now we're talking about a door being closed. You still got your Bible open? Can you read pretty good? Would you read the next line for me, please? When once the master of the house is risen up and has shut to the door. You hear it? Do you hear it? Here is Jesus telling us, who's the master? He's going to shut the door. That goes against all. Well, Brother Stair, you see, uh, we're, 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 we're especially young folk, you know. We've we got a lot of things we got to do. Well, I guess in Christ can never come because you're going to have to wait till young folk always do what they want to do. Because there's always going to be young folk, isn't there? Isn't there? Isn't there? So young folk is always going to prohibit the Lord from coming because they got things that they want to do. You know, the Lord got something for my life. Uh-uh. Young man called me some time ago and said, I hear you on the radio, and I just like you so much. He said, but you just said something. It just, just, just got me all, all upset. I said, what's that, young man? He said, I'm 16 years old, and God has called me to full-time ministry. He said, and Jesus, he just can't come yet until I get a chance to have my ministry. You ought to wait long enough for you to get married and have a honeymoon, neither. I mean, after all, uh, he, he, ought, he ought to let Baker, Brother Baker live long enough to see his children grow up and have a nice little family. And be a granddaddy. I mean, sure, God ought to let us see some of the nice things, you know. I've said to people many times, all my life I've heard people tell us that we can claim the promise of 70 years. Three score years and ten. Have you ever heard that? Has anybody ever heard that? Well, God promised me three score years and ten. Well, now, if you claim that as a young woman, how old are you, my dear? She's 20. Now, she claims that. That means Christ can't come for 50 years. So she's going to have to give up that claim for, of that promise for a greater promise. And that's the promise of his coming. There's going to be a generation that's going to give up that lesser promise of physical life for eternal life. Because if we don't have a generation of young people to do that and they all hold God to the promise, then Christ can never come. So there's people who are going to be willing to lay down their life Give up their will. Submit their being that he might be glorified. And this is that generation. Well, that ain't fair. Is it? You know that scripture right there, you ought to read it. Because it goes on down and says, when they came and knocked at the door, he said, depart from me, I know you not. And they said to him, well, we have even sat and ate with you. We fellowshiped with you. We, we sat at the table with you. We, we were having fellowship. What is it that we can't come in? And he said to them again, depart from me. I know you not. Now, why would he say that to people who fellowshiped with him? 
You are listening to the Overcomer Ministry in Walterboro, South Carolina. Because they were liars. They said they loved him, but they wouldn't keep his commandments. They said they loved him, but they wouldn't lay aside every weight and the sin that thus so easily beset them. They would not purge themselves from all filthiness of the flesh and spirit. They would not learn obedience. He that saith he loveth me, he keepeth not my commandments, is a liar. But his commandments are so hard. That ain't what he said. He said, my commandments are not grievous. They're not a burden. They're no problem to keep. So the way is so plain, you can be a fool and be able to walk in it. Not difficult at all. My yoke is easy and my burden is light. No, but you don't know what I'm going through, but he does. Amen. You don't know what I got to bear, but he does. He bore it. He's carried it. He was tempted just like you. He was young just like you. You know, he was young and had a battle with his youth. He had a major battle when he was young at the age of 12. Wow, folk get so mad at me when I tell about this. You know, Jesus got to be 12 years of age and he become one of those young snot noses. And one day him and his mom and daddy were over in the big city of Jerusalem and boy, he was having big eyesight. Yes, sir, boy, he had never been in that big city before. He he was just enjoying this big, big, beautiful place. And then he took them to the temple. And, of course, the temple meant something special to him. Because even though he was a boy, he knew who he was. And so, when the time come to leave, he just hung behind. And his mom and daddy started to go home. And they went a whole day's journey. And that little fella, he didn't even care about honoring his mother and father. He's supposed to honor his mother and father. He ain't supposed to dishonor them like that. You telling me Jesus sinned? Did I say that? Is that what I said? You see, he was 12 years of age, so he was not accountable yet for his actions. A Jewish boy becomes accountable at the age of 13. They call it the bar mitzvah or something like that. If Jesus would have done that when he was 13, he'd have been charged with sin. So he did it when he was 12. Because he knew what he was doing. Because he's becoming an example even to children now. And he gives it a classic example of a disobedient boy. A little boy who's thinking he knows more than mom and daddy. His mother goes down the road about a day's journey. At the end of the day, she starts looking around to, 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 to bring... The, the family together in the caravan, and she says, Joseph! Yeah, Mary? Is Jesus over there with you? No. I, I thought he was with you. Well, what in the world happened to that boy? Let, let's go see if we can find him. And they look all through the caravan. Anybody see my little boy Jesus? You know, you know the little fellow, little tight. He's so bright, and his eyes are so, so sparkling. No, we haven't seen him. Oh, Joseph, what are we going to do? Joseph, we got to go back. They go all the way back. Another whole day's journey. And that frantic mother. Are you a mother? Not a mother. You're, you're a mother. What would you do if you, if you lost your boy when he was 12 and you didn't know where he was? Wow. You'd have got a little frantic, wouldn't you? Probably. I ask you if you're a mother. Probably. Jody, what did you do when old, the old boy jumped out the window and ran off on you? 
Huh? Went looking for them. Come on, mamas get upset when they lose their children. She goes back and she starts running around the streets of Jerusalem. Anybody see my little boy? He said, nobody seen him. And finally she comes bursting into the temple. And there he was standing down front board just acting like a Ph.D. He had all them leaders around him. And they were just throwing questions at him. And he was confounding them with questions and answering theirs. And his mother come flying down front. Jesus, what are you doing, son? I've been looking over for you. And then he sassed her. Wish thee not I must be about my father's business. I'm just letting it sink in so all you folk can get shocked. Then go home and read the story and I'll prove it to you. See, if he was doing his father's business, she wouldn't have stopped him. She wouldn't have stopped him. And I'll come back and prove to you, I'm telling you the truth. I can see her reach right over and grab him right by his ear and say, come on, boy, you get out of here. And the next line says this. He went with them and became in subjection unto them. And he never again, they made another move like that until he was properly introduced to be who he was. He shut his mouth and became the carpenter's son until God, through his proper time period, through the proper introduction, see, he said, he said, with thee not, I must be about my father's business. They didn't know who his father was. They thought his father was Joseph. It wasn't time for him to make his move yet. God had prepared an elaborate plan to introduce him to the world. A special prophet to proclaim him. When the day finally come at the age of 30, he stepped out on the scene. And John had been such a phenomenon. He had the whole region coming out to hear him. What? A time to present the Savior. At the prime of his life, he looked out across the crowd and he saw that lowly Nazarene walking and he cried out, Behold the Lamb of God that takes away the sin of the world. And Jesus walked right through the crowd, stepped down to the river and said, Baptize me, Judge. And John said to the side, Who needs to be baptized of you? He said, I know that's the proper way. That would be fine. He said, But I must fulfill all Scripture, so you go ahead and do it. And John baptized him. He came up out of the water, and the Holy Ghost came on him in the form of a dove, and a voice thundered out of heaven, This is my beloved Son. Hear ye him. Now everybody knows who his father is. Why did Jesus do that? Why did he do that? You think he lost control of his faculties? No. He was given an example to every child to be obedient to your own parent. And I promise you, he learned obedience. I believe old Joseph put the rod to him. I believe when he got back to the caravan... Joseph said, where you been, son? Well, I've been over there having a good time in the temple, Pop. Boy, you've been over that thing right there. I'm going to teach you a lesson. Don't you do this again. Whack, whack. He learned obedience by the things he suffered. He was not just automatically obedient. You want to hear truth that shocks about other wits. Huh? He learned obedience. You know why the church is not obedient today? They won't submit themselves to suffering. He actually submitted himself so the chastisement. He was a son. He wasn't a bastard. So he, he endured chastisement. He knew who his father was. If I said a man don't endure chastisement, he's, he's not a son. 
Jesus was a son and knew it, so he submitted to chastisement. Well, the Bible said the Father, it pleased the Father to lay on him the iniquity of us all and then chastise them for having them. He was wounded for your transgression, bruised for your iniquity, and the chastisement that you should have got was upon him. Because he was a son, he endured chastisement. You all better hold this in your heart. You don't hear this kind of preaching very many places. I told you when I started that I was going to do something here tonight, and I'm going to do it here in just a second. I'm about finished. Going back to Luke. I hope I got the right verse here. Luke 4, verse 17. And there was delivered unto him the book of the prophet Isaiah. And when he had opened the book, he found the place where it was written, The Spirit of the Lord is upon me, because he hath anointed me to preach the gospel to the poor. He has sent me to heal the brokenhearted, to preach deliverance to the captive, and the recovery of the sight to the blind, and to set at liberty them that are bruised, and to preach the acceptable year of the Lord. And he closed the book, and he gave it again to the minister, and he sat down. And the eyes of all that were in the synagogue were fastened on him. He began to say unto them, This day is this scripture fulfilled in your ears. Now, I'm sure if you've studied scripture at all, you know he's quoting from Isaiah 61. He just left out one thing. He quoted Isaiah 61, I think it's verse 2 and 3. I'll go back and check in a minute. But he left out one thing. He left out one profound statement because he did not come to do that at that time. So he did not quote it. We turn back to Isaiah 61 and we read almost identical words right down the line. Just like he spoke there. I want you to listen. And He told them, you can quit looking for this scripture to take place because today it is fulfilled in your ears. Do you believe that? So there's a scripture that Jesus fulfilled, signed, and finished with. The Spirit of the Lord God is upon me. I'm reading now from Isaiah 61. Because the Lord hath anointed me to preach good tidings unto the, unto the meek. He has sent me to bind up the brokenhearted, to proclaim liberty to the captive, and the opening of the blind, of the prince of them that are bound, and to proclaim the acceptable year of the Lord. And that's where he stopped. That's where he stopped. But the next line says, And the day of vengeance of our God, and to comfort them that mourn. He did not quote the last two parts. So there's a day of vengeance coming in which many people are going to mourn. Did Jesus say, Blessed are those that mourn, for they shall be comforted? You are facing that period of time of great mourning. The slain of the Lord is going to be many. It was about a little over two weeks ago, two months ago, when God again drove me into my radio room and as I sat down, He quickly He quickly drove me to a scripture verse. It's found in Luke 21 and verse 20. 
Levi got this right too. And when you see Jerusalem compassed with armies, then know that the desolation thereof is nigh. Let them which are in Judea flee to the mountains, them which are in the midst of, the, of it depart out of it. And let not them that are in the countries enter therein. For these be the days of vengeance. What did he leave out? He left out the statement, the day of vengeance of our Lord. And he tells us when they're going to begin. When you see Jerusalem, surround it with armies. How can a Christian world be so blind and not know that Jerusalem is absolutely surrounded, compassed, engulfed, overwhelmed with an international army the United Nations have sending troops in from every little area. These are the days of vengeance. God is going to begin to pay people back. That's why you got to take stuff like that. See now, God can knock the hell out of him anytime he wants to now. He said, touch not my anointed. Do my prophets no harm. If there's anybody in this tent that don't believe I'm an anointing tonight, you don't know the anointing of God. I'll tell you that much. This is not a natural ability. This is not something I get out here and just stir up myself. Something God has put inside of me and shook me and took me across the nation and around the world and I faced big and small. Man, if I told you some of the things I've faced, some of you folk would fall out of your seat. I remember I was up in, I'll just give you a little classic example. I was up in a place called Brattleboro, Vermont. Brattleboro, Vermont has the highest rate of incest of any little town or any city in America. Parents going to bed with their children. Brothers with brothers, sisters with sisters. That's right, lesbianism, homosexuality, and incest. The highest rate. It is a city that defies God. Just a little town, but it defies God. God sent me there. And one night, a great big giant man come in. He stood at least six foot four. He weighed at least 250, 60 pounds. And I was standing right about here when he walked in the tent. And he stood right by that pole. I stopped for a minute. I said, sit down, sir. You're welcome. But I don't want to sit down. I said, well, you either sit down or you get out of here. And he says to me, I'm going to sit down because I want to see if you know how to preach. So he sat down. I preached for about five or ten minutes. All of a sudden he rises up. He said, you ain't no preacher. He said, I'm coming down front and I'm going to start preaching. He rose up and he started to come down front and I stepped on. I said, stop right where you are. He said, I told you to sit down and you get out of this tent. You walked right down, brother. <laughs> took those two big giant arms he had, put them right around me, and got himself in one of those big old mountain bear hugs. And there I was, like a little peanut in this man's arms. And he started putting some pressure on me until my nose was sticking right on his nose. And that tent got as quiet as a mouse because everybody knew this man. He was a troublemaker and a problem. 
And I looked him right square in the face. I said, I told you to get out of this tent. Now put me down and get out. And believe it or not, the man put me down, looked at me, and turned and walked out. Oh, you were lucky. No, I wasn't. I don't believe in luck. You think God don't know what he's doing? You know what that did? That packed the tent the next night. The next day, that fellow had a fight with his wife, beat her up so bad, they called the cops. When the policemen came, it took six policemen to subdue that man. He fought so violently that they had almost beat him senseless and finally threw him in jail. When the news got around that I had stood up to him, they came from everywhere to see the preacher who had enough courage to stand up to that big old bully that took six cops to handle. I don't believe that. Then you better stay in your little safe places because you are heading for a war. And if you women don't learn to get in the place God wants you, the Bible says they're going to ravish your women. So you learn not to be in submission to God's wall. You have no protection outside of obedience, you know. You better learn submission. You better learn obedience. Because if you don't, God has no obligation to protect you. The angel of the Lord encamps around about them that fear God. And I'll tell you what, brother and sister, there's only one thing that will make you stand up to a man like that, and that's the fear of God. Because if the fear of man gets a hold of you, you're going to run like a scared chicken. Oh, I did that too. I did that too. I was in New York one night. In Harlem, and I don't know if anybody knows about Harlem. Hey, my brother from New York, back there. How many are you from? Are you, aren't you say from New York, brother? Philadelphia, is it? Where do you say you're from? Oh, that's bad enough. Northeastern Pennsylvania. Well, I was in New York and Harlem one night, and I was sitting in a restaurant, and a big old black dude walked in with a bandana around his head, a ring in his nose and one of his ear. He walked over and he said, Hey, Whitey, give me your money. And I looked up for my mashed taters. I said, well, you want something to eat, Blackie? Sit down and I'll buy you something to eat. Hey, man, who do you think you are talking to me like that? I want your money. I said, but you're not going to get my money. You can get something to eat. I'll pay for it. He said, I'm going to get your money. And out he went. Well, I ate my fine food. I paid for it. I might eat it. And there was no reason to go running outside real quick, was there? And finally, after I was done, now the moment of truce comes. I step out on 125th Street there in Harlem on the east side. And as I stepped outside, I heard somebody, Hey, Whitey! I whirled, and there he stood with six other fellas. Come here! Well, I... I've faced the Ku Klux Klan in my life. I've faced a lot of people, so I really wasn't too frightened, so I started to walk towards them, and as I started to walk towards them, fear got a hold of me. I became afraid. And I turned, and I ran as far and as fast as I could and jumped in a taxi and said, Get me out of here. But when I got home that night, I was so under conviction. Oh, God, I told you I'd never run again. 
said, God, you got to help me. I said, but that fear got a hold of me and I didn't know what to do. And God's good, isn't He? As I was on my face repenting, He let me open the Bible and it says, They that wait upon the Lord shall renew their strength. They shall run and not be weary. Oh, I said, thank God I didn't get weary. But I also knew I was going to have to go back up there again. When you fail one test, you've got to take it over. So I called a dear old preacher friend of mine, black preacher, a black bishop. I said, Brother Jones, I said, i got to go back up there. And I said, and I told him what happened. He said, Brother Stair, I said, I told you a hundred times, don't you walk them streets. Take somebody with you. I said, them boys that jump on anybody, they don't care what color he is. I said, no, Bishop, I'm walking up there tonight by myself. I'm going again. He said, why would you do that? I said, because I'm afraid. And if I don't go up there and face this fear, the devil could run me any place he wants to. You didn't see it afraid of that big tough dude, did you? You didn't see my knees buckle, did you? He's pretty tough. With his mouth. With his mouth! Just in case he's out there. You know, New York is a city of, of, of 8 million people in the city and 12 million around it. And I said to myself, you ever try to appease yourself a little bit? I said to myself, ain't no chance of me meeting those same six dudes. <laughs> I'm, I'm as safe as could be. I jumped on the subway and headed on up the line, 125th Street. Born, I had that briefcase in my hand. At that time, I used to wear real nice suits. I had on a nice three-breasted suit. Born, I looked like a multi-millionaire. And I was shaking all the time on that subway. Just my hands were sweaty, my knees were knocking. But I kept saying, they won't be there. You won't see them. Yeah, you, you don't have to worry about it. Come flying up out of that subway. Started down the street. Didn't go 15 feet. All at once, heard somebody say, hey, look, there's Whitey. Oh, Lord God, there stood the same bunch of guys. Almost an impossible feat in New York to see the same bunch of guys. But this time I just... Said Gabriel, put down your trumpet and please pick up your sword, because <laughs> I'm gonna face these guys, <laughs> live or die, sink or swim. And I started to walk, and I just walked faster and faster, and pretty soon I heard one of them say, "Come on, look at the suit that guy. Look at that watch he's wearing. Wow, look at them shoes. They'll take your shoes and everything. Come on, let's get them. We got them tonight. And you know what happened?" The fellow who come in the restaurant with the bandana and the ring in his nose. He was the ringleader. He was the boss. He was the head boy. He said, leave him alone. I said, oh, thank you, Lord. What in the world is going on here? Because when the big man stops, you don't mess with him. See, you've got to whoop him to overrule him. In a New York gang, he wins authority by whooping everybody, sometimes two or three at a time. So he, he's just standing there picking his fingernails. He said, leave him alone. I have to look over my shoulder. I saw all five of that gang gang around. I said, hey, man, what's wrong with you? Man, we got the dude. Ooh, you showed us how to do it. He ain't going to get away from us tonight. Come on, man. Let us get him. We'll get him. We'll get him tonight for sure. And I just kept on walking. I heard him say, I told you to leave him alone. And I said, thank you, Lord. I kept on moving as fast as I could. And I heard them folks, come on, man, what's wrong with you? Well, that, that dude got probably some money on him, too. Man, we can get ourselves a fix. Come on, man. Get out of and I heard them the last time say, leave him alone. 
about this time I'm getting out of your shite. Because I can't hardly hear him. I said, man, what's wrong with you? He said, let me tell you, do something. He said, if that guy takes off running, you ain't never going to catch him. Now, I don't know how God made me run the night before, but they convinced them fellas they couldn't catch me. Never mind. You all miss out on that one. Think God can't make you the head and not the tail? Think God can't work in your favor? But you're going to have to stand. You're going to take the move. Oh, God help us. God help us. I'm trying to tell you, ladies and gentlemen, you're facing the days of vengeance now. The cutoff period's here. Don't, don't mock God no more. Don't, don't play with Him no more. Don't, don't. You see, it's got to come down to where the line's drawn. Now, you take one step over. You finish. That's what the mark of the beast is going to be, you know. One step over. One moment of weakness. And you subdue to the mark of the beast. You're dead. You're finished. See, this, this is going to be more than lip service. It's not, I love you, Lord. Oh, I love you, Jesus. Hallelujah. He said, don't you just love in word. I want more than lip service. I want more than honoring with your lips. I asked you a simple question. Is he not worthy of it? Is he not worthy? They loved not their life unto the death. You know, when the Lord, after 40, 35 years, picked me up and stuck me on national radio, allowed my voice to be heard across the world. You know, I try to tell so many young people, especially. I lived 35 years since I was in the ministry. I failed God so many times. It's almost, it's, it's just almost beyond recognition that God would ever use me. And then he moved me out of New York. Out of, I had a church in New York. I had a church in Boston. And they were good churches. I received three letters today from people who attended the church in New York. Two of them are already out of New York, and the other one's coming. And they said, Brother Stair, we thank God for what you taught us, even in your disobedience, even in your rebellion. You taught us enough truth. And then you obeyed God yourself. I left them. I said, get out of this city. I am not coming back. You can come and live with me if you want to, but get out of this city. Oh, they had lost their children. Boys are in drugs. Children are in grandchildren. Babies left and right. Immorality. Now they're finally making a move. With broken lives and broken home. But thank God they're listening finally. Their little old mother lived with me for many years. And she said, oh, Brother Stare, if my children would only listen to you. Well, they're moving out now. But the price they had to pay. One of them wrote me just the other day, Charles... Up in prison, he said, I've been on drugs so many times, but it's there. I knew him when he was a little boy like that. One of the little grandchildren, a little girl like that, she's now grown and got three illegitimate children. She's old brother Steph, we'd have just listened to you. The price they gotta pay, will never get a marriage, hardly never get a home. But at least they're moving now to save their soul. To save themselves from this on toward generation. And God raised me up and told me he's going to use me. He said, it's going to cost you your life. That means from now on you don't do anything. You, you, you know, people seem to think that a man of God gets pleasure out of speaking the way I have to speak. But I've said to my audiences a thousand times, this is not God's best method. 
God's best method was Jesus Christ. You know what this fellow would have said to Jesus Christ when Jesus said a statement like this? Jesus said to a man, go and sin no more. Lest the worst thing come on you. He said, I don't buy that. I don't believe that. See, when you're saying to me that God's grace is not going to be shut off, then I ask you, what did Jesus mean when he said, a worse thing come on you? See, there's very few people that have any spiritual revelation of what God's talking about. Jesus said to yeah, now, come on, Lord. Everybody sins. Is that the way you would answer them? Is that the way you would have answered them? And then he said to this poor, helpless man, he said, now, if you sin again, a worse thing is going to come on you. A worse thing? Worse than what? Worse. What? What's he talking about? Well, what's he talking about? You know what does it save a man? God's grace. By grace, are you saved through faith. When that man came to Christ, he did not make him accountable for his sins. He said, now your sins are forgiven to you. He offered him grace. He didn't have to earn it. Come on. Now he said, now, since you've got grace, now go and sin no more. If you do, you won't get another chance to receive grace. A worse thing. See, brother and sister, we have become so blanted in our sins in this generation that we have frustrated God's grace. Paul said, don't frustrate the grace of God. Frustrate means when you prevent something from doing what it's intended to do. And the grace of God that brought salvation hath appeared to all men. And it teaches them that by denying ungodliness and worldly lust, they should and they could live soberly, righteously, and godly in this present world. But this generation says, nobody can live like that. Not even with grace. So what's the worst thing? Now grace is shut off. I'm going to close by telling you again, you are coming to the week of the Feast of Trumpets. It's a pattern of God. For nearly 4,000 years, this Feast of Trumpet has taken its yearly cycle. And every year, it ended with a last trump. Now it's only a pattern. It's only a shadow that all the other feasts that had to do with the coming of Christ, like the, the Feast of Atonement and the Feast of the Passover, have they taken place? Didn't Christ become our Passover? Didn't he fulfill that feast? Didn't he fulfill the Day of Atonement and the Feast of, uh, 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 of, the, uh, uh, of the Passover? Didn't he do it? Yes, he did. He became our Passover. You know, Jesus died exactly at the very moment how to get folks you know, he just, they didn't kill him, you know. He hung on the cross and they killed him. Or he died. He gave up the ghost the moment the high priest stepped from the holy place into the holy of holies to offer up sin for the people. That's when Jesus died on the cross. 
And when the high priest stepped in, the veil of the temple was rent in twain from top to bottom. And God saying, you don't need the blood of bulls and goats no more. There's your lamb now, world. And I've told you, Jews now are going to rebuild the temple again. Put the curtain back up again. And go back to offering sacrifice again. You are going to witness the abomination that make it desolate. You know, God scattered, tore the veil, tore down the temple, and then scattered the people so they wouldn't do it again for 2,000 years, hoping that in that 2,000 years the Jews would finally turn and say, He's our Lord, He's our Messiah, He's our Lamb, He's our... Huh? But you see, this defiant generation of Jews and Gentiles alike are going to trample underfoot the blood of the everlasting covenant and go back to shedding the blood of bulls and goats again. Commit an abomination is going to shut the door of heaven so tight. Somebody said, oh, God's going to save the Jews. No, he is not. He is going to save the seed of Abraham, the Jacobs, the Esau's he still hates. He said to the tree that represented the Jewish nation, he said when he couldn't find no fruit on it, when it didn't produce no life, he said no man shall eat fruit. Of you, Israel, Jews, you will never again produce life-giving truth to mankind hereafter, forever. Salvation is of the Jews, yes, but that's the seed of Abraham, not the natural Jew. You are living in the days of vengeance. Believe me, you are going to quickly see God's hand of vengeance as it moves quickly and the greatest nation on the world that has to first be judged is not the Soviet Union. To whom much is given, much is required. The Soviet Union for over 80 years has been in heathen darkness. And most of those people have never heard the name Jesus. So they're not going to feel the judgment of God. But this nation who has heard it left and right, back and forth, we become the most polluted people there is upon the face of the earth. God is going to judge this nation with fire like we've never seen it. The nuclear bombs are going to fall. Somebody said, I don't believe that. I don't care. It doesn't make no difference. The word of God says you reap what you sow. Our nation is the only nation that ever dropped the bomb. We sowed it. We dropped it on two cities. You reap what you sow. We sow to the wind, we reap the whirlwind. At least 20 American cities will go up in smoke. And I've named them several times. Ain't no question about New York, or Boston, or Chicago, or San Francisco, or Atlanta, Georgia, or New Orleans, Louisiana. Ain't no question in my mind about it. Detroit, no question. Detroit is a, is a witchcraft city. Halloween is, is a terrible night in Detroit. Hell breaks loose in Detroit. Every year they make the headlines on Halloween night how they burn the city. And those demons come out to rage and rant. And if what I read about Louisville over here, it wouldn't surprise me that's got to go too. But there are going to be 20 major American cities. So I said, what are we going to do? Well, if I was in a city, I'd get out. I'd remember Lot's wife. I mean, I suppose God has me there. God didn't have Lot there. 
That was Lot's choice because he ended up fighting. His herdsmen ended up squabbling with Abraham's herdsmen. So Abraham said, look, we can't go on fighting like this, so we have to separate. And that's what's causing a lot of the little things that's going to play today. We can't get along with each other, so we separate. Because we won't apply the principles of Christianity to get along with brothers and sisters, so we separate. The Bible says, let love be without dissimulation, without separation. But we don't permit it to be like that, do we? You don't see things my way, brother, bless God. You go your way and I'll go mine, and then we'll both go to hell. Our Heavenly Father, I want you to help with these words tonight on the tape, Lord. I pray that you'll season them with the anointing of God, and may everyone be clear. And as we put it on radio, God, in the time schedule you have for it, in these next two months, there's going to be Feast of Tabernacles, the Feast of Trumpets, and I'm sure that there are time schedules that you're waiting on. Don't know what you have planned for all these things yet, but oh, God, help us to seek your face so we will not walk in darkness. Don't let the church of Jesus Christ be fearful of the destruction that comes. Lord, you said thou should not be afraid, nor the terror by day, nor the destruction that wasted at noonday. You told us not to be afraid of it. You said with our eyes we behold and see the reward of the wicked. Oh, God, I pray that you'll help us to be purged and pure and clean. Help us to become one with the body of Christ worldwide, even though we don't always have physical contact with them. You pray to prayer, sanctify them that they might be one. God, make us one. Make us one, Lord, in Christ Jesus through the process of sanctification. Let the spiritual realm begin to come together. Let the dry bones begin to rally. Let the church of the Lord Jesus Christ, the uh, that the Israel of God begin to rise an exceeding great army, preparing for the final battle that we're going to face today to honor and glorify our God and defend His integrity. Thank you for young people that you're dealing with their hearts. Help them to realize that you didn't save them for their sake, but you saved them for your sake. Help us all, God, to yield completely to you. In Jesus' name. One of the great scriptures that are quoted so many times by this generation is Romans 8.28. I'd like for you to remember it. For we know that all things work together for good to them that love God, to them that are called according to His purpose. So He's got a purpose. And it's a good one. And if you ever get a glimpse of what it is, Paul saw it. Paul got a glimpse of it. Abraham left his home when he was 75 years old because he got a glimpse of it. Stephen wrote, he said, The God of glory appeared to our father Abraham in Mesopotamia. When Abraham got a glimpse of glory, 75 years old, he left his home, he left his land, and he became a sojourner. He was a pilgrim and a stranger. He wouldn't be satisfied with nothing anymore on this earth because he started looking for a city whose builder and maker was God. You see, you've got to get a glimpse of something beyond this life. For if you and this life have hope only, you're of all men most miserable. Please take some of our papers with you. There's a few back there yet. If you'd like to have the paper sent to you, fill out one of the cards. Shall we stand? Everybody shake hands, be friendly, and may the Lord bless you real good. Sword, famine, and pestilence will cover the entire world. Well, what's going to happen to you, brother? 
How are you going to make it? He that dwelleth in the secret place of the Most High shall abide under the shadow of the Almighty. That's why I appeal to every God-fearing, Bible-believing man, woman, boy, and girl to obey God, to repent, to walk in truth, to humble yourself under the mighty hand of God because the day of judgment and retribution is here. Watch and pray always that you may be accounted worthy to escape all these things which shall come upon the face of the earth and to stand before the Son of God. Oh, I want to see him. Flee from the wrath to come. The kingdom of heaven is at hand. Oh, God. I pour out my very soul every day, Father. I do it because I believe there's Noah's out there. And I want to urge them to flee and save themselves, Father, from this untoward generation. Give them strength and courage to do it. I ask it, my God, in the come quickly, Lord Jesus, even so, come. This is Brother Stair. See what I see. You would weep and cry for God to spare his people from the terrible happening that's going to take place upon the face of the earth. Every one of you that love God, you're being battered in your mind. Would you make the sacrifice to help a ministry such as this stay on the air until God says it's enough? Write me today. Someone send me a thousand. Someone send ten thousand. Someone send a hundred. Many of you send your five, your ten. Help me pay for radio time. That's all I'm asking you to do. I don't need no food or clothing or shelter or anything else. Patients paid. Because I'm saying things... My mailing address is Brother Stair, S-T-A-I-R, Walterboro, W-A-L-T-E-R-B-O-R-O, Walterboro, South Carolina, 29488. That's Brother Stair, Walterboro, South Carolina, 29488. Ask for the paper, the overcomer, and the information for the summer camp meeting in Mead, Arkansas, July 1st through the 15th. Until the next broadcast, the restoration of all things has begun. The kingdom of heaven is at hand. Jesus Christ is coming in your lifetime. This is the last generation. Prepare to meet your God, Maranatha. This next broadcast is for Wednesday, June the 20th, on the count of three. One, two, Three. And at that time shall Michael stand up, the great prince which standeth for the children of thy people. There shall be a time of trouble such as never was since there was a nation, even to that same time. Then shall be great tribulation, such as was not since the beginning of the world to this time. No, nor ever shall be. Except those days should be shortened, there should no flesh be saved. But for the elect's sake, those days shall be shortened. For these be the days of vengeance, that all things which are written may be fulfilled. But woe unto them that are with child, and to them that give suck in those days. For there shall be great distress in the land.
wrath upon the people. For the Lord Jesus shall be revealed from heaven in flaming fire, taking vengeance upon all of them who know not God and obey not the gospel of Christ. This is the voice of a last-day prophet of God declaring to mankind everywhere that the day of the Lord's vengeance is at hand. The kingdom of heaven is near. Prepare you the way of the Lord. The Overcomer radio broadcast is now on the air. Listen and be challenged. The king is coming. He's coming soon, he's coming soon, and with joy we welcome his returning. It may be morn, it may be night or noon. But I know he's coming soon. Oh, our Lord is coming back to earth again. Yes, our Lord is coming back to earth again. Satan will be bound a thousand years. We'll have no tempter then after Jesus will come back to earth again. Oh, I would not want to miss it, walking up those streets of gold, with the saints and martyrs blood washed, playing on their harps of gold. Oh, the music and the singing of that chorus will be grand, when they meet our Christ and loved one over in the glory land. I was just sitting here listening to the introduction of the broadcast, thinking about how I've been preaching here for uh, several days straight in a row, just sitting right at the microphone preparing these broadcasts. And I looked down here at this blessed verse of Scripture found in Second Peter chapter 3, verse 10. But the day of the Lord will come. <laughs> Glory to God. Jesus said, let not your heart be troubled, neither let it be afraid. I will come again to receive you unto myself, that where I am, there you may be also. As they stood gazing up into heaven, watching the Savior ascend into heaven, angel or the men stood by and said, You men of Galilee, why are you standing here gazing? He shall so come again in like manner. As you've seen him go, he went up into heaven in a bodily form, in a glorified body, 
He's coming back in a glorified body. He was received up in the clouds. He's coming back in the clouds. He went up as men were looking, watching him go. He's coming with men looking and watching for his coming. Hallelujah. The apostle Paul said, We which are alive and remain shall be caught up to meet the Lord. How? For the Lord himself shall descend from heaven with a shout. And the voice of an archangel and the dead in Christ shall rise first. And we which are alive remain shall be caught up to meet the Lord in the air as he comes back to set up his kingdom of this earth. And of his kingdom there shall be no end. Then saith he unto me, See thou do it not, for I am thy fellow servant, and of thy brethren the prophets. Worship God. Behold, I come quickly. My reward is with me. To give to every man according as his work shall be. I am Alpha and Omega, the beginning and the end, the first and the last. Surely, I come quickly. Amen. Heavenly Father, I just feel the urge to pray on the broadcast today. I received the letters and the phone calls from many of the people from coast to coast, from England, from Africa, from the islands of the sea. Many of them are oppressed as Satan is battling the minds of the church of Jesus Christ, seeking to wear out the patience of the saints. I pray for them. I pray for them, Father, in the name of Jesus. Touch the hearts of those that are being moved with. Some of them don't know exactly what to do, how to do it, what to do. Show them, Lord. Direct your folk. Bring us together in oneness. Unite us in holiness. Forgive us. Oh, God, as Daniel prayed. Jeremiah and Ezekiel prayed, forgive us. We have sinned in our neglect, in our selfishness, in our self-reliant ways. Help me to lead them in prayer and humility, God. Your people can purge us from our dead works and our faith towards God. Perfect that which is lacking in us. Make us one. Sanctify us, purge us, cleanse us, have mercy on us. Touch your people today all across the land. My Father, my Father, in the name of Jesus, help us to awake to righteousness and sin not. Store unto us the joy of thy salvation. Create in us clean hearts. Oh, that mine eyes were a fountain of tears, that I might weep for the slain of the daughters of Israel. Oh, that thou would rend the heavens and come, that the mountains will flow at thy presence, that thy people might rejoice again in thee. Like a lot of old, we vex our soul just looking around about us. Yes, we have separated from it. 
But we read about it. We hear about it. The broken homes, the broken lives, the young people, the heathenism, the idolatry, the sin, the immorality. Oh, God, deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. The Lord God would say to his people everywhere, Be of good cheer. I have overcome the world. When you see these things I have told you come to pass, look up. So again today by my servant and by my spirit I say to you, lift up your heads. Your redemption draweth near. Have I not said, behold, I come quickly. When I come, my reward is with me. I shall bring it and Share it with you who have been faithful, who have loved me unto death. Seek my face. Seek my will. Obey me. You will not be disappointed. You are my jewels. I will gather you, polish you, and place you in my kingdom of peace and joy, saith the Lord. Hallelujah. But the day of the Lord will come. How? As a thief in the night. Does anybody know or look for a thief? It will be upon us with the sound of a great noise. With the elements melting in the aftermath of a nuclear. All men's works. Their fine cities. Cathedrals. Buildings, stadiums, heritage villages, Bible schools, temples, St. Peter's Basilica will be burned up, saith God. I hope you'll be with me throughout the rest of this month as I continue with this end time message. Do every child of God be thou faithful unto death. Lay aside every weight in the sin that doth so easily beset you. Run with patience the race that's set before you. Endure hardness as a good soldier. Continually stay before God and be purged from all sin and be sanctified. You are listening to the Overcomer Ministry in Walterboro, South Carolina where the coming of Jesus Christ is preached 24 hours a day throughout the entire world. Our prayer request line is 843-701-5053. That's 843-701-5053. And our mailing address for your correspondence and offering is Post Office Box 691, Walterboro, South Carolina, 29488. That is Post Office Box 691, Walterboro, South Carolina, 29488. To learn more, you can also visit our website at 
overcomerministry.org. May God help you to do it. Write today for the paper, The Overcomer, and for the information concerning the camp meeting, July the 1st through the 15th in Mena, Arkansas. There'll be two services daily, 10 a.m. and 7 p.m., and you need to have the, the map that I'll send you, plus the information on the state park and the campgrounds and the motel. You'll also be welcome to park your camper or your RV right on the land, the place of the holy, 15 miles east of Mena, Arkansas, on Highway 8. Elsie Wilder, myself, and others will be there ministering the Word of God in this camp meeting. I'm looking forward to be a great outpouring of God's restoration power. Thank you for writing. My address is Brother Stair, Walter Barrel, South Carolina, 29488. Until the next broadcast, the restoration of all things has already begun. The kingdom of heaven is at hand. Jesus Christ is coming in your lifetime. This is the last generation. Prepare to meet your God, Maranatha. And at that time shall Michael stand up, the great prince which standeth for the children of thy people. There shall be a time of trouble such as never was since there was a nation, even to that same time. Then shall be great tribulation, such as was not since the beginning of the world to this time. No, nor ever shall be. Except those days should be shortened, there should no flesh be saved. But for the elect's sake, those days shall be shortened. For these be the days of vengeance, that all things which are written may be fulfilled. But woe unto them that are with child, and to them that give suck in those days. For there shall be great distress in the land, and wrath upon the people. For the Lord Jesus shall be revealed from heaven in flaming fire, taking vengeance upon all of them who know not God, and obey not the gospel of Christ. This is the voice of a last day prophet of God declaring to mankind everywhere that the day of the Lord's vengeance is at hand. The kingdom of heaven is near. Prepare you the way of the Lord. The Overcomer Radio Broadcast is now on the air. Listen and be challenged. The king is coming. Does the word of God teach? Anywhere that a day will come when men can no longer be saved. I ask that question again. Is there any place in the Word of God that teaches that there will come a time when men cannot be saved? 
One of the most classic examples of it is the story of Esau. The Bible says that Esau was Jacob's brother, Isaac's firstborn, and he had the promise of a birthright to be in charge, to take charge. And the scriptures tell us that he sold his birthright for a bowl of soup or meal from his brother. It also tells us that afterwards he sought to get his birthright back. And he sought it during a time of repentance and tears. Yet, he did not receive his birthright. God refused to restore it to him. Later on, God made this statement. I love Jacob, he said. But Esau, I hate. Now, you know, you you people listening to me on these broadcasts day after day, you, you get bent all out of shape when you say, uh, Brother Stair, he don't have no love. For God is love, and that's true. Does that mean because someone loves now, he doesn't have the capacity to hate? Is that what that means? You mean now because God is love, and is manifest as love, one place the Bible says God commendeth his love towards us. While we were yet sinners, Christ died for the ungodly. So that means now that this God, who is love, does not have the ability or the capacity or the will to hate? Well, that's not what he said. He said, I am the Lord and I change not. He said, I am the same yesterday, today, and forever. He said, I'm the beginning and the end. And God said, Jacob have I loved. Esau have I hated. Well, why, when Paul read that one time, his old pharisaical mind, it just rolls up. He said, what, what, what's this? Is God unjust? No, friends. See, the answer to that is because you don't understand hatred or love. If God does it, it's always right. Whether he loves or hates, whether he makes alive or kills, everything God does is right. He's a righteous God, and what he does is right. And when he says, I hate Esau, he's right. He has a right to do that. I can remember some time ago when the Holy Spirit spoke so profoundly to me, saying, I still hate Esau. Now, how many Christians are there today who have received Christ, and when they received him, Matthew 121, 118, 121, goes on down and says, to as many receive him, uh, to them, he gives the power or the right to become sons of God. So when you first believe on Christ, you have a right to become a child of God, to grow up into the fullness of the statue of Christ, to be obedient. But how many have sold that birthright for material things today? For earthly things? 
God says he hates it. He hates you for doing it. He said, you put your hand to the plow. You see the field ahead of you and the harvest time. And you look back. My brother Stair said, you remember Lot's wife? She was told in the final days when destruction was coming to forget about her home, her furniture, and all her comforts and convenience and get out of that city and don't look back. Jesus said the same thing to you. Remember Lot's wife? She looked back. She was consumed immediately. By the judgment and the wrath of Almighty God turned into a pillar of salt. Ladies and gentlemen, my brother Stare, if we would if we would listen to you, why hardly anybody would be saved. I like when you ask that question. Would you get your Bible? You are worried about people out here who have rejected God? They've made their choice. They this generation don't want God. This generation has said no to God. This generation has rejected the Holy One of Israel. You know what Stephen said? You stiff neck. You uncircumcised in heart. God raised Christ from the dead, put him right in the midst of you. And you resist the Holy Ghost. As your fathers did, so do you. And the Bible said they gnashed on him with their teeth, and they stoned him. That's the generation that was alive when Jesus was manifested. Here in this end time, with the mighty outpouring of the Holy Spirit and the Word of God being manifested, a generation has mocked him. So Luke chapter 13, verse 23. Then said one unto him, Lord, are there few that be saved? Why, the way you keep talking, you, you, you act like there's not going to be very many people in the kingdom. And he said unto them, Strive, make an effort, make up your mind, strive to enter in at the straight gate. For many I say unto you, will seek to enter in. You know how many is trying to get in now? Most of those who lived under atheism and communism and now in materialism and prosperity in this country, they all want to get into the kingdom, don't they? For many, he says, will seek to enter in and they shall not be able. They will not be permitted. You hear what Jesus is saying? He said, I'm not going to permit this world who has mocked me and scoffed me and rejected me that all at once decide they're going to jump up and just come on in and sit down in the kingdom. No, sir. He said, they will come from the north and the south and the east and the west and they will sit down in the kingdom of our God. But all you who are the children of the kingdom who thought you had it will be cast out. Well, I'll pick up on that as time goes on. This word of God is just so full, isn't it? By the way, this is Brother Stare on the Overcomer broadcast. And I... Let me just read some more of that. <laughs> the door being shut. 
Verse 25. When once the master of the house is risen up and shuts 